0: I'm going to talk to you about being a watchman here for the next few moments. Somebody say, God has called me to be a watchman. Amen. And if you're a woman, you could say watch woman. But you know what we mean. We mean by the generic sense, watch man, meaning mankind. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 16 says, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. What did he make the son of man? Amen. So he says, Son of man, I made you a what? A watchman. Thank you for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning for me. Does it say give them nice comforting messages? Does it say just tell them the things they want to hear? No, it says give them warning for me. We're in a sermon series called, Thus Says the Lord, and it's basically going through the prophets of the Old Testament. One in the New Testament, Mary, we talked about during Christmas time, and believe it or not, she was a prophet. She spoke prophetically about the life of Jesus. That was amazing to see a woman prophetess. When we go through the prophets, we see they have messages, but what we normally see is that their message is not for them to give and that's it. It's for them to give to others, to then to give to others. And we see it right here at this beginning passage with Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet of Israel living during the time of the Babylonian captivity. He's in the exile. We've talked about those who have prophesied about it coming, about the coming slavery that Israel was going to be under. The siege that they were to face was so bad that some of them ate their own children. They weren't supposed to, but they did that. The, the judgment of God was upon Israel. The prophets spoke. The people didn't listen. Ezekiel now is one of the prophets that's actually in the land. So imagine my grandfather or your grandfather prophesying, if we don't change, we'll be taken into slavery by China, our children will be raped, and some of our men will be castrated and made to work for the Chinese government. Imagine none of us listening, and now here we are, captured and ruled over by the Chinese government, and some of us have been castrated, taken over to live in Beijing. That's Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were actually taken from their hometown, brought into the government of Babylon, castrated, and made basically their work servants and slaves. Now, thankfully, God blessed them and kept them, but as they were there, they were under great persecution, hence being thrown into a lion's den just for simply praying, and then being put into a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for not bowing down to the statue. Ezekiel is a contemporary of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a few years after the captivity. Now, the Persians and the different nations are ruling over Babylon. Babylon itself got defeated, and now, Now Ezekiel is here and God gives him a word and he says, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. Now if God was saying this to him way back then that he had an assignment, shouldn't we look at this and and receive the same kind of assignment? If we find ourselves, especially in similar situations, now we may not be in captivity, but are we in a time when a generation is facing great wickedness? Yes, we're in a time when people are facing great wickedness. So, if God would speak to Ezekiel and say, I want you, Ezekiel, to tell people what I will do if they don't change even now, after they're already in judgment, it will get worse. How much more are we supposed to tell people in America and say, hey, if you don't like it now, it's only going to get worse if you don't change? Can I get an amen for that? Amen. This is a word from the prophet. So he says, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So, hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Jesus used this same exact terminology when he was talking about the wise man building his house upon the rock, the foolish man building his house upon the sand. He said the wise men are those who hear these words of mine and put them into practice. So if you're here today, you are now responsible for putting these words into practice. If you're going to do that, can I hear an amen? Amen. So you're going to put these words into practice. And what's part of putting it into practice? Going out and preaching them. Jesus said at the end, as I've already mentioned in Matthew chapter 28, he said, now you go to the disciples. You've been hearing it. You've been learning it. Now you go and teach others to obey what I've taught you. That's what you are to do. So that applies to us. Verse 18, now look at the warning. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die. Look at that. You will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. So the Bible says if a wicked person is around you and you don't warn them, They'll die and be held accountable for their own sin, but what will you be accountable for? Their blood. Now, I know that's not something that we want to talk about a lot, but how many know there's a judgment day coming? amen? So when people die without Christ, wicked, and you know, the Bible makes it very clear that there's wicked and righteous people. There's no in between, sinners and saints. And so the wicked person, which is the one without Christ, because we just go to the new covenant and understand that we're all born sinners, and by the time of our conscience and the age of accountability where we're responsible, we are now to respond to Christ, confess our sins, and be born again of a heavenly, of a heavenly genealogy from the Holy Spirit by the Father and the Son, right? We are to come through the kingdom of God, the birth canal of the Spirit. If we don't do that, we remain in wickedness. That's what John chapter 3 says. For the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, for the world was already condemned. Do you remember that? The world's already judged and condemned. When God kicked us out of the garden, his judgment was, this is the way it's going to be until you die, and then you'll suffer forever in hell, unless you have forgiveness unless you have salvation and then he shows us the path of salvation through the old covenant with the law and Moses and putting their trust in God through those things they were never supposed to ever look to the law to save them it was always faith in God that's why Habakkuk the prophet we've already studied here has said the just the righteous shall live by what shall live by what faith. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. Then you can do the works of the law, even in the old covenant. And in the new covenant, it's of course the same way. Whoever puts their faith in Christ, whoever believes, is born again. Now look at it again. Do you know any wicked people? Yes or no? Are you warning them? If you are not, you will be responsible for their blood. Thus says the Lord. Amen. We didn't come here to just hear the nice stuff today. This is good But it may not be what tickles your ears. You and I are going to be held responsible for what we do with the wicked people around us. We can't make them change. It doesn't say, and then you force them to change. No, it says, you are to warn them. But if you don't, you will be accountable for their blood. Now go to verse 19. But if you do warn the wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sins, but you will have saved yourself. What will you have done? Saved yourself. Now remember this, we're not saved by good works, we're saved by grace through faith unto good works. So what are we saving ourselves from? We're saving ourselves from, as Christians, from the shame of having blood on our hands for people's souls as they're perishing. The Bible does say that Christians will be put to shame on Judgment Day, and some will only be saved as if by escaping fire. So you and I are not just leap skipping and jumping right on the yellow brick road into glory land. We're going to face judgment and be rewarded or shamed for what we've done or haven't done. And so according to the scriptures, it's not my job to make the wicked person change. I cannot make them change. But it is my job and your job to preach to them about their wickedness. Then I will have saved myself. You will have saved yourself from the blood of their soul being on your hands. So the Bible is very clear from Old Testament to New Testament that you will be there on judgment day with others. You will stand before God naked. You will not have anything to hide behind, but you will be there in the presence of others. And so as I am judged, you will watch me get judged. And if I as a pastor have not warned you of wickedness, then I will have your blood on my hands. Now imagine having 10 people's blood on your hands. That's not something we like to think about, but I'm not making the word picture here. God is, so take a moment, think about it. Not a horror movie, not something you're supposed to brush off and say, oh, that's gross. No, think about it. The blood of one person on your hands, the blood of two people on your hands. What does it look like? What is the illustration Ezekiel is giving us here? You will be shamed for your cowardice for your inability to warn, but if you do warn, you will have saved yourself, and you will be rewarded. In other scriptures, it says that, but let's keep going. Verse 20, he makes it even more clear. Again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Now, notice two kinds of people in the Bible, wicked righteous, no other kinds. Does everybody get that? He told you about the wicked. Now he's going to tell you about the righteous. He says, if a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. That death is a death of judgment, not just having a heart attack. We're not supposed to be superstitious and say if somebody dies, that was God's judgment. The death they are talking about or the prophet is getting from God is a death After uh, life, a spiritual death, they are going to suffer. The Bible says you live once, and you can either die twice or live twice, okay? Let me explain this to you really quick. If you're born once, you have a choice to die twice or live twice. Now that you're born, you're going to die once, okay? Okay? But if you don't have Christ, you're going to die again. The book of Revelation says that's the second death. But if you have Christ now and you get born again, you'll get born again twice, right? I mean, you'll live twice in that sense. You have eternal life. When your body dies, you live on forever. Does everybody get that? What it's talking about here is when they die. When they don't have Christ and they die in their actual body, they will face the second death. The second death is the judgment for the wicked. Okay, so everybody get this. It's not just a natural death, it's also a spiritual death. It says the righteous things that that person did will not be remembered and I will hold you accountable for their blood. This is literally the place where we as a church get our teachings of backsliding. We use the term backsliding because it means you were going in one direction and then you went back. You slid back. The terminology here is turn from your righteousness. So we made that. I didn't come up with it, but the church made it up over generations in the past. Backsliding. Okay, so you were doing righteous things, you were righteous, but now you've turned. The Bible is very clear. If you die spiritually in a state of sin and you're not right with God, every righteous thing you did will not be remembered. Come on, somebody say, oh, snap. See, you are not once saved, always saved. You are not getting to heaven just because you had faith 20 years ago. You must hold firmly to the faith you once had. You must fight the good fight of faith. If you turn from your righteousness now, which is not of yourself, it comes from Christ. We stand in the righteousness of Christ. If you turn from that and you die, spiritually you are away from God, you physically die, you will face that second death. And you will be like Those in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, which I don't have time to turn there, you will be like those who say to Jesus, Lord, Lord. You'll call out, Lord, Lord. Did I not do all these great things in your name? Did I not go to church? Did I not help the poor? Did I not even pray for miracles and those kinds of things? And Jesus will say to you, that's Matthew, that's New Testament, that's red letters, that's Jesus, and Jesus will say to us, to anyone who's turned from their righteousness, depart from me, for I never knew you. The terminology never knew you is right in line with will not be remembered. Does everybody get that? Jesus says, I will tell you, I have never known you. And the book of Ezekiel says, your righteous deeds will not be remembered. Well, isn't God all knowing? Of course he is. He knows everything. But in the sense it's being remembered, it is not to your credit anymore. He doesn't just forget and become a, a, you know, like a hard drive that now doesn't remember what it used to do as a computer can get a virus. No, God still knows everything. He knows everything. But when it says it's not remembered, and I'll tell you I never knew you, what it's talking about is I do not know you in an intimate way. I do not have a relationship with you, and I don't remember your works in a way worth rewarding. All I see now is a worker of iniquity. So we're supposed to warn the wicked. We're supposed to warn the righteous who turn to wickedness. Verse 21. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin. What are we to warn the righteous person? Not to sin. What are we supposed to warn the righteous person? Not to sin. Does that mean I don't love you? That means I actually love you. If you love me, tell me not to sin. If you love your neighbors, tell your neighbors not to sin. If you know someone in this church that is righteous and now they are sinning, tell your neighbor, your church friend, not to sin to sin and if they do not sin and everybody says, well nobody's perfect it says right here you're not supposed to sin anymore that's what it says there's no excuses well what if I do sin ask God for forgiveness and don't do it again act like heaven and hell's on the line okay take heaven and hell serious if you ever want to take God uh, if you ever want to look at how God takes forgiveness serious or how serious God takes forgiveness look at the cross do I think you can sin your way out of heaven uh, sin your way out of Christianity. No, I don't believe we lose our salvation by just making mistakes. The Bible says a righteous person can sin and get back up, but here's the difference. Sin can harden your heart. Hebrews chapter 3 says, and the hardened heart will turn away from God. So how does the process work? Sin without repentance hardens the heart, and now it turns to unbelief. So you came in by faith. How do you leave Christianity? By unbelief. Sometimes people try to trip us up, and they try to say, you know, those who believe in once, they save, always saved. They go, well, if we didn't earn our salvation, how can we work our way out of it? You know, if I didn't work my way into it, how can I work my way out of it? That's not what we believe. We came in by faith, and I can come in by unbelief. Go to Hebrews chapter 3 quick. I want to show everybody that just so you can know how to speak to someone. If they ever say, well, we're saved by grace, and I can't mess up grace, you know. We'll show them right here. Yes, you can mess up grace. The Bible actually says you can do that. Did you know that? The Bible says you can defile grace. You can. I'm going to show you a few scriptures if you got the time. Has anybody got anywhere to go after this? No, I'm, t- I'm kidding. Come on, I know you guys do. Let's go to Hebrews chapter three. Look quickly, verse twelve. Hebrews chapter three, verse twelve. See to it, brothers and sisters. Who is he speaking to here? Sinners or brothers and sisters in Christ? It's clear. The Bible teaches us that. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Sounds very similar to what we just read in Ezekiel. A righteous person can become wicked, but I love the author of Hebrews because it tells us how it happens. How does the righteous become wicked? Is it just because they've sinned and they've messed up and God doesn't want them anymore? No, it says they have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. So what comes first before the unbelieving? The sinning. So, yes, as a Christian, you can be, you can be forgiven as a, of as many sins as you can confess. That is true. God is gracious to us. But if in your heart you want to keep sinning and you really want to pretend that forgiveness is, is like an exchange between you and a pawnbroker, that you're not taking that serious, like you're going to bring in your junk and try to get 3 or $4. You're going to bring your sins and try to get some dollars from Jesus, some grace from Jesus. You're treating Jesus as you're treating the grace of God as an unholy thing. You're not coming to do a pawn deal with Jesus when you confess and repent your sin it is coming before your king and your master knowing that you have committed high treason against your God so if you want to continue in your sin it says you have an unbelieving heart and it says you'll turn away from God and then look at what it says we verse 14 have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to win the very end So how long are you supposed to hold on to your original faith and your conviction that Christ is Lord? How long? To the very end. Somebody say amen. 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 Going back to Ezekiel. Going back to Ezekiel, he says, if the righteous turns from his righteousness, you are to warn them. Let them know their righteous things will not be remembered. And then if they die, you won't be accountable for that. Uh, But you will be accountable if they... If you don't warn them, and look at verse 21, but if you do warn the righteous person not to sin and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning and you will have saved yourself. How many want to save yourself from judgment being embarrassed as a Christian? Okay, now look at Acts chapter 20, verse 25. Paul uses the same exact terminology, the same exact terminology of Ezekiel and applies it to his life. That's why I know the prophets always apply to our life. We see the Old Testament through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is applicable to us. All scripture is God breathes and is useful. Some people say, I'm just a New Testament Christian. Well, you're the wrong kind of Christian. Without the Old Testament, you don't have a New Testament. What is Jesus fulfilling in the New Testament, Old Testament? What are the New Testament uh, preachers preaching? All the Old Testament. What do you think Acts chapter 2 comes from? It comes from the book of Joel. But how do we apply the Old Testament in the New Testament? Through the lens of Christ. Christ is the gap that is filled in between the two covenants. He fulfills it and then he brings it to an end in a new covenant. Yes, there's a new covenant. You can say I'm a new covenant Christian, but you can't say you're only in the new covenant because there's a lot of old covenant promises that are supposed to happen in the new covenant. Why is Israel still promised a nation? Read the book of Isaiah, amen. Why is the revelation, the revelation the way it is? Read the book of Daniel. Revelation John quotes more from Daniel than any other book in the Bible because Daniel hasn't come to pass yet. Are you listening? So when I read the book of Ezekiel, I know it applies to me through the new covenant, through the teachings of Christ, but I love it when the apostles did the work for me as a pastor. So all I got to do is look at Paul and say, Paul, how did you understand Ezekiel's calling to be a watchman, to be one that warns? And let me just say this quickly. The historical context of being a watchman is when people lived in in cities surrounded by walls, because that's how they stayed safe, there was watchmen. And guess what the watchmen would do? They would watch, man. Okay, that's what they would do. They would get up on these walls, and they would look to see when the enemy's coming. Because if you're out there, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of places to hide, you know, in the wildernesses, wherever. You just say, okay, there they are. They're coming. And if they're a big enough army, you know, there's nothing you can do to stop them. You're going to have to fight them. Or if you can get it on with them and fight with them, you know, you're going to have to get out your soldiers and do all of that. The specific thing that was happening with Israel is there were so many they couldn't even fight them. God said, this is judgment coming on you now. But the idea is, Paul takes it, implies it to the New Testament. Look at what he says at the end of his life, uh, at the end of his ministry with Ephesians, towards the end of his life. It says, now I know that none of you, talking to the Ephesians elders, place he spent two and a half years at, he says, none of you among who I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. He knows he's going to suffer for Jesus. He knows he's going to eventually die a persecuted death. He's going to get beheaded by Nero. He doesn't know how, but he knows he's going to die. He's going to willingly do that for Christ. But look at verse 26. Therefore I declare to you today, he's talking to all these people, that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. Paul says, I know I'm going to suffer for Jesus. I'm going to die. I'm probably never going to see any of you guys again. But I can tell you one thing. I am not responsible for you. I am free from the responsibility of preaching to you the gospel. He says in verse 27, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Okay, now let's go to you. Are you going to be a watchman? Because I'm going to be a watchman. I mean, that's the scriptures. I have given it to you, right? Now the question is, are you going to do it? Because it is not just for us to say somebody else will do it. The pastor will do it. No, you are to do it. You are to warn the wicked people in your life. You are to warn the wicked people in your family. And they may get offended. That's okay. Let them get offended. But you are to preach the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be offensive. That doesn't mean you have to cause issue every time you see them. The Bible says don't throw your pearls to swine. Some people are just swine according to the Bible. Their spiritual nature is not worthy of hearing it over and over again. So you can wash your hands of them, literally wash your hands and kick off the dust. They may not like knowing in the Bible that reason why you're not talking to them is because you consider them a swine. But that's what my Jesus said about them. He said, you don't throw the pearls to the swine. If you can't talk to that person anymore, according to the Scripture, they're a swine. Are you listening? That's my Jesus talking. Amen? That's not the Jesus of Reader's Digest or Oprah Winfrey. That's my Jesus, though. That's the Jesus right here. He called them that. So if you don't like being called names, don't hang around Jesus too long. Because he'll call you a swine if you don't want to hear what he has to say. That's what Jesus said. Anyways, I still love my Jesus. I'm not embarrassed of them, amen? I'm not ashamed of them. I'll talk about his words here every single day. I have the opportunity to, but that's up to you. So if they're not swine, according to the scripture, have hardened their heart because you've told them and told them and told them and now it's time to wash your hands, it is our obligation to give them those warnings once, twice, three times or as many times as they're open to hearing it. It is our job to keep warning them. So now people are asking, Pastor, should we go to same-sex weddings? Of course not. Warn them of their wickedness. Should I support my family member if they're getting an abortion? Should I, should I support this? No, don't support it. Of course not. Well, they're going to think I'm a bigot. They're going to think this about me. They crucified my Jesus. What do you want from them? The Bible says if they hated me, they will hate you. You are not above your master. Blessed are those who are persecuted. We read all the Beatitudes on Sunday church, and we love them all. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's the one down here at the end? Blessed are those who say all kinds of evil against you. Blessed are those who, persecute, who are persecuted for my name's sake. Are you blessed? Amen. Then you'll get persecuted. Do you preach the word? Then you'll get persecuted. Where in the world did you think you were going to live in a generation, preach the righteous things of God, and not get persecuted? What lying pastor from a pulpit told you that? Bring him here. Because I'm going to set it straight in Jesus' name. You will be persecuted for this. So just get over it. I don't act, the Bible literally says, don't you act like it's strange when you suffer for this. You are having your faith tested. We are in a generation where our faith is being tested. So I've got some warnings for us to give people. You all ready for it? Amen. Here it is in closing. Eight warnings to give people. Number one, let people know they're going to face God's judgment and hellfire without Christ on judgment day. You don't know Jesus? Well, you're going to meet him one day as he breaks your knees, puts you down before him, makes you kiss his ring, call him Lord, and he'll kick you to hell. Is that what you want to meet him as? Because King Jesus is not baby Jesus. King Jesus breaks knees on Judgment Day. King Jesus slaughters upwards of 100 million people at the Battle of Armageddon. King Jesus is making you bow before him. Now, it's lover of my soul, Jesus. It's mercy, Jesus. On that day, the Bible says Judgment Jesus is not having a conversation, and he's not crying for you. He's interceding for you now. On Judgment Day, he's laughing at you. We've studied Psalm chapter 2 here. Some of you don't know this kind of Jesus. Read Psalm chapter 2. He scoffs them. He laughs at them. In his anger, he rebukes them. Kiss the son lest he become angry and his wrath flare up in a moment and destroy you. Meet Jesus now. Repent of your sins now. Listen, you're not doing me a favor coming to this church. You're being obedient to your king, your God, who will not have a negotiation with anybody on that day. The Bible, you want me to be more descriptive? I'll be more descriptive. Bible says kings will lick his boots. Kings will lick his boots. If Trump don't know Jesus, he'll be licking the dust. It literally says licking the dust off of our king's boots. Y'all don't read the Bible. Y'all read the Bible? What you think those things, well, the licking the dust off the feet, really what that's parabolic of is Jesus gives them a spa. That's really what that means. No, what it means is kings will get down on their knees, lick his boots as he puts them into hell. You say, why would a loving God do that? Because he is so loving. Because he is so loving. You say, how in the world can judgment that severe be so loving? What would you want Hitler to do? If you could judge Hitler to the survivors of the Holocaust or the people that died, how would you want him to grovel before them to show that he did what was wicked and evil? Now, I want you to understand this. We don't get how wicked and evil we are before our God. We just think we just mess up every now and then, but we're really pretty good people. The judgment day is not coming to judge just the Hitlers. The Bible says we have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We have all murdered our brothers in our hearts with our anger. We have all lusted and committed adultery. We have stolen from each other. We have been bitter with each other. And on that day, God is going to make sure that they are remorseful for it on that day, but then they'll still get cast into the lake of fire. But for us now, what do we do now? We kiss those boots willingly now. We willingly pour out our tears at the mercy of Jesus and say, man, I know I'm a sinner. God, I don't deserve one good thing from you. Forgive me, Jesus. How many got saved like that? How many came before the mercy of God and said, Lord, forgive me, a sinner? So tell the world about that. Number two, tell the world about their sexual perversion. The world does not get to change their sexual ethics because uh, Ellen DeGenerate, I mean degenerate, now wants to marry a woman named Portia. They don't get to change it. This Bible is still the Bible. It's still the word of God. And it will be the word of God long after them. The Bible says all men are liars. All of them. They're liars. They will tell you lie after lie after lie. But let God be true, the Bible says. He says, my word will endure. All of men's glory will go away like the grass and the flowers of the fields. But the word of God will endure forever. So sexual ethics, where does it come from? The Bible. The Bible. How does it work? One man, one woman in marriage. Any questions, class? Read the book of Genesis. One man, one woman. What about polygamy in the Old Testament? It was never blessed. It always brought curses. It was never commanded by God. And of certain, it was reiterated by Jesus in the New Testament to be outside of his plan. Jesus said, you have heard. He made them male and female, so the man leaves his mom and dad and cleaves to his wife. There is no exceptions to this rule. Sex outside of marriage, sex with yourself, sex with the same sex, sex with a bunch of different sexes, all at once, changing your sex and pretend you're another sex by mutilating yourself and making yourself a Mr. and Mrs. Frankenstein. None of that is godly. Right. And God loves Sodom and Gomorrah so much, he said, I'll spare you this judgment, but there has to be some righteous ones here. And he couldn't even find 10 righteous. And what did he do to Sodom and Gomorrah? He brought down hellfire. And the book of Judah says, remember that as your example. Let's go to the book of Jude. I want to show you that real quick because some of you all think Solomon Gomorrah was just a bad uh, movie like Lord of the Rings. Man, I don't want to be there. But this is not just fiction. This is true. Solomon Gomorrah is our example. How many know if he judged Solomon Gomorrah, he's going to judge San Francisco? How many know if he judged Solomon Gomorrah, he's going to judge our nation? Jude, right before Revelation. Jude, right before Revelation. Look to the example. Don't be ashamed. How many are ashamed of your Bible and don't want me to read this right now? How many want me to read it? Say amen. 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 Look at Jude chapter 1, verse 5. Only one chapter in Jude. Verse 5. Though you already know all of this, I want to remind you. How many are being reminded of this today? Being reminded that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. What did he do to those who did not believe? He destroyed them. What will happen now to those who don't believe? They'll be destroyed. What did Ezekiel say will happen to those who don't believe? They'll be destroyed. It's all the same message. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in chains, bound with everlasting. Uh, those he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. Some demons were put immediately into chains. They've been there this whole time, and they're going to get cast into the lake of fire. Others were allowed to roam the earth. God is not joking around. Now look in verse seven. In a similar way, somebody saying a similar way. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah in the surrounding towns gave themselves up to what? Gave themselves up to what? Say it like you mean it, class. Sexual immorality. Come on, church. And to what? Perversion. They will serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of? Oh, you're all weak this morning. They will serve as an example for what? The punishment of? Am I supposed to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, yes or no? They are supposed to be an example to us of what? Eternal fire. Go back to the lesson, please. My heart grieves for this generation, but I'm not going to stop preaching. Will anybody else be a warner with me? Will anybody else warn this generation? I'm just on number two. Number three, warn this generation about their love of death. Proverbs says, all those who hate me, talking about God, all those who hate me love death. The reason why they love abortion is because they've rejected God's wisdom. The reason why they love suicide and assisted suicide and teen suicide is because they have rejected God. The reason why they join gangs and the reason why they love to murder and to kill is because they have rejected God. The reason why they live reckless lives, and reckless lives is a part of acting suicidal. You know, I talk to people, and they say, I just drive this fast, and I do this fast. I don't care what happens to me. You will be held accountable for how you've treated your life. You are the creation of God. You better live seriously, amen? Number four, false religions. You are to warn people about Islam. You are to warn them about Buddhism. You are to warn them about Hinduism, Roman Catholicism. You are to warn Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons. You are not to pretend you are not home when they knock on your door. You are not to pretend you didn't hear your friend just say they met a new guru or now they're going to some new clinic to learn these things. You are not to overlook that your friend has the saint of Guadalu- uh, the mother of Guadalupe or some saint in their house. You are to warn them. You are to speak to them clearly in love and to warn them. Are, is it your job to change them? Can you change them? No, you can't change them, but it's your job to warn them. And by you warning them, you will have what yourself? You have saved yourself. We are to warn this world of pride, selfish ambition, and greed. We are to warn them of what it's like to live without God and their mentality. The Bible literally says there's a kind of wicked person where God is not even in their thoughts. They go about this world, and they go about in God's world, and don't even think about God. They think they, they don't owe Him anything. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I've done this. I've done that. And yet they don't even understand that the laws of gravity are there by God, that the brain they have is there by God, that all the resources they use on this earth are there by God, and they will give an account to their life before that God. Have you ever heard the statement, prepare to meet thy maker? That's in the Bible. You better be ready to meet your maker. He is a God of love and mercy and kindness, but he is also a God of judgment and wrath. Meet him now. What does the Bible say? Jesus taught us, fall upon the rock now and be saved, lest it fall upon you and break you into pieces. Don't you think you're anything without God. You're a self-made mess without God. Warn people of bitterness, ungodly anger, and hatred. Can I show you the scripture about defiling the grace of God? Can I show you that? Go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. You might think to yourself, the thing that must defile God is probably the most gross sin to us, you know? So when God says grace is defiled, it's probably child molestation. We know, of course, that's a wicked sin, and I agree with the laws that will send people to heaven or to judgment who do those things, amen? You're going to face God on judgment day if you touch a child. I believe that. But listen to me. It's not that example that's given to us of what defiles the grace of God. You know what defiles the grace of God? The Bible says bitterness does. Look at it. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to trouble and defile many. Can I tell you what will defile you as a Christian? Is that you keep bitterness in your heart and you don't forgive as you've been forgiven. You will trip and fall right in front of the grace of God. It will be in front of you, but you'll fall right in front of it and never touch it. I got the grace. I... Mm. No, you won't get it because there's grace. And grace comes with, I forgive you because I have been forgiven. Grace comes with I love my enemies You put us in jail You kill us you, you, you crucify us They did all that to the church They're still doing it now in other nations I love you I forgive you I pray for my enemies And those who despitefully use me why? Because if I don't, the Bible says that I will fall short of the grace of God. I'll fall right in front of it. I will have known all about it. I will have known what it could do in my life, but I will fall right in front of it and not get to interact with it because the Bible says I let a bitter root grow up and it will defile me, defile you. Be careful. Somebody say amen. Amen. Just another warning about sexual morality. The Bible's always preaching at us. See that no one is sexually immoral, is godless like Esau, who sold a single meal, who for a single meal sold his inheritance, right? as the oldest son. Isn't that what the whole world is doing? Trading the glories of God for some pathetic thing on this earth. How many love living for Jesus? How many think the commands are a good thing? How many want to be warned not to go to hell? Amen? Let's go back and finish this up then. We're going to warn people of racism, ethnocentrism, injustice. The Bible is really really clear. There's one race, the human race. We've all come from Adam and Eve. And now we are here at our appointed time and places to reach out to God and perhaps find him, as, the, as the, uh, the poet said in their time, Paul was quoting from them. And so the idea is here is that there is no favoritism. Even though we know God loves the Jewish people, the individual Jewish people must come to Christ just like us. And so there's no one race above another race because there's not even racism. It doesn't even exist. We're all one human race. Do you get that? But there can be different ethnic groups. There can be Different cultures. There is no different uh, no culture above the other. The Bible says in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, no no free nor slave. Any of those things. And then in justice, if we treat each other wrong, if we make unjust laws, we will be punished according to God's word. And then the last thing is we're supposed to warn them of drunkenness, drug addiction, and the love of pleasure. Second Timothy. Go quickly there with me. Band and altar workers, would you come please? How many are glad we prayed for miracles at the beginning? Amen. Amen. Because right now you may not need that kind of a miracle. You need to come and repent, right? You need to get right with God if you're not right with God. And then if you are right with God, we need to pray for boldness, don't we? If this makes you feel uncomfortable, imagine what judgment day will be when you have people's blood on your hands. That's not my words. That's God's words. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Do you think we're in the last days? So then why are we pretending these aren't terrible times? Amen? You want to get a new boat, God's saying, I'm about ready to blow the whole thing up. And and I'm talking to myself. I want a new boat. But I'm telling you, God's saying, Joe, you better be careful about how comfortable you are down here. This is terrible. We're acting like it's all just going to be this way, uh, you know, till, you know, forever. People have no idea judgment is coming. The Bible says, look at another example, Noah's Ark. They thought it was never going to rain. It was never going to flood. And then lo and behold, it did. And they were knocking out that door, begging to come in. And God said, let them all die. (laughs) Can I just talk to you for a few minutes? If God was okay with destroying the whole earth and letting eight people die, what do you think he's going to do here? Y'all ever think about Noah and the flood? I'm not talking about Noah's Ark, a bathtub toy. I'm not talking about Noah's Ark, the coloring book. Come on, play it through your head. Come on, Noah. It's raining now, man. Uh, We take you serious now, Noah. Hey, man, I'm sorry. Didn't listen before. Let me in, Noah. Don't let them in. You seal that door. I wonder what that door looked like after they got out. I wonder what kind of claw marks were at that door. Come on, Noah. Come on, Noah. Your God wouldn't do this. Come on, Noah. If God was okay with destroying the world, they estimate anywhere between a few hundred thousand to a few million at that time, we don't know, we're just guessing, died that day. If God said, I'm doing that because I'm so grieved at the wickedness in your heart, what do you think Armageddon looks like, my friends? I am not warning you because I want to feel better about myself like I'm some puffed up pastor. I am reading the scriptures to you because I love you. Because there's room enough for you at the cross. I'm giving you what the Bible said that the other generations wish they had. Even Jesus talked like that. He said, you Bethesda, you all of you neighborhoods, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. And the Bible says when the disciples go out and preach and they don't listen, you shake off the feet because it will be better for those pagan nations and it will be for them. And it's the same thing with America. If we don't listen to preacher after preacher after preacher, it will literally be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on Judgment Day than for us because they were only given one chance with Lot. Are you listening? There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, Abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited. Now watch this. This last phrase right here says, everything you need to know about them. Bible writers always love to summarize Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. So everybody doing all of that is going to act like they're a Christian. Or they're going to act like they are spiritual. But the Bible says their form of godliness is no good. It denies the power of God. Have nothing to do with such people. The only thing we are to do with them is to warn them. You aren't supposed to be in close relationships with them. You aren't supposed to enjoy spending all this time with them because they, the Bible says, bad company will corrupt good character. So even my own siblings, I'm closer to people in this church than I am my own siblings. You know why? Because my siblings are alcoholics, and they were told, you can't come to my house drinking like that, ever. My sister died drinking and driving. My other sister's still a drunk. You're not allowed around my kids with alcohol, period. You're not allowed to smoke around my house, period. You've been warned. That's it. What are you attached to in this world? What's worth you getting tempted to go to hell over? What is worth you giving the testimony of wickedness to your children? Well, that's my cousin. And so, my cousin, I got to invite. No, you don't got to invite your cousin. If cousin Flacco's going to get drunk, if cousin Flacco's going to curse, if cousin Flacco, you don't got to invite cousin Flacco. You invite cousin Flacco here. You invite him to the Bible study, you invite him to the church, but you guard your family. You guard the testimony of your children. God forbid that the first person my children see gets drunk is my sister. God forbid the first person they'll see get drunk is the one that smells like urine, the one I witnessed to on the streets. And I'm going to point right to my daughter and say, you see that one that smells like urine that daddy got to give a track to? This is what sin looks like. That's what you show them sin. Not in your cousin Flacco you got to have at every family reunion. To hell with that. Me and my house, we serve the Lord. You walk through those doors, you come representing Christ. I love you. I'll do anything I can to help you. But right here, it's our rules. It's our house. I felt I had to say that for somebody. Some of y'all got to stand up for righteousness. And I'm tired. Let me just say this here. I am tired of social media because a lot of y'all on it and you're getting influenced and you don't even know it. I'm tired of social media making us look like the bad people. Because I don't know if you've seen these videos of kids coming out. And then they'll have the parents say, Well, I I knew you were gay, and I'm so happy for you. And then they'll show another parent getting upset, saying, Well, you know, I can't accept this. I'm a Christian, whatever. And then everybody just ramrods them and says, Oh, we need more parents like this. We need more people like this. And so psychologically, they're conditioning you to think mercy and compassion is loving their wickedness. But God said when you see it, you're supposed to take Sodom and Gomorrah as your example. So people ask me all the time, well, what if Lucas is homosexual? I don't care who in my family is homosexual. Here's what I'm going to say. I love you. I care about you. But here's how it works. God gave you this part to go into that part. If you have the same-sex attraction, we'll pray for you to know what God made you to be. If you want to be celibate, that's up to you. God bless you. You want to ask the Lord to give you attractions for a woman, that's great. I got people in my life that done that. Lucas, Titus, whoever. But listen, you want to live out the lifestyle of homosexuality, I will warn you. You will go to the same place that everybody else goes who is unbelieving. And then when this is all set right, And RuPaul's not in charge anymore. And uh, Caitlyn Jenner's not getting awards anymore. Come on, somebody. I'm going to stand before my kids. And I'm going to have clean hands. And I'm going to say I loved you enough to tell you the truth, man. You may didn't want to hear it, but I loved you enough to tell you Because if Jesus could save a sinner like me, I knew he could do it for you. Because you get tempted to have sex with the same sex. I get tempted to have multiple partners of the same sex, of the opposite sex. And I had to be changed from my perversion. Look at your hands right now imagine yourself on Judgment Day. What's going to be on your hands? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you make us watchmen and women here today. No one here is better than anybody else. We all need the grace of God for forgiveness. We all need your truth. We're lost without you. And we ask you now to make us witnesses, watchmen for your kingdom. I pray for wisdom on your jobs. I pray for wisdom in your family. I pray you don't do it in a way that gives the devil an opportunity to take advantage of you. But I pray that however the Lord uses you, you do it right. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were watchmen even though they lived in a pagan nation. Figure that one out. How did they have a standard but yet work with those people? There's wisdom there. God will give it to you. They never changed, but they had a way of interacting with those people. And when it came down in their conscience where they weren't supposed to bow or they weren't supposed to stop doing their right things, they knew now was the time to to be persecuted. I'm not giving it up. You'll know those times but don't just run out to your job preaching they're all going to hell and then wonder why you get fired right come on use wisdom now a few moments God make us watch men and women in this church we pray for wisdom we pray for anointing we pray for love compassion yeah maybe people say these same kind of things and they hate them right you've seen those kind of extreme preachers no 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 that's not us we love them don't we that's why in those people's churches they don't see any people really get saved in our church, we baptized over 40 people last year. We're going to baptize probably that many this year, if not more. We have former lesbians, homosexuals, bisexuals here, alcoholics, drunkards, perversion, false religious people here. God's changed a lot of people's hearts here. Why? Because they know this is love. You do the same right now, a few moments, say, God, use me. Have Him bring up to you some of the people in your life. Maybe it's a co worker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your neighbor. Family member, come on, Jesus, use me. Make me a watchman. Make me a watchman, God. I'll warn them. That's all I know I can do, but I'll do that, Lord, and you do the rest. I will not back down in this generation because I believe it's worth it. Heaven and hell's on the line. It's worth it. That's why we go to Belmont and Clark. That's why we go to Pulaski and Madison. That's why we go to Wright College. That's why we go out before all of our life groups from Logan Square to Reese Park. We witness and knock on doors. Why? Because it's worth it. Shh. Mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Come on, you want to pray mercy and grace over their life? Somebody say, Mercy, Lord. Have mercy, Jesus. See, now it means something, doesn't it? Now you know that judgment is coming. Crying out for mercy means something. Mercy on my sister, Lord. Mercy on my brother, Lord. Mercy on my Hindu neighbors, Lord. Mercy, Lord. Mercy, Lord. In your wrath, remember mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy on this city. Remember mercy on our politicians. Remember mercy on our school officials. Principals trying to get us kicked out of schools. Right now, I got to meet with the cap sergeant. Mercy, Lord, on that principal. Reminder of the Constitution, Jesus. She'll be held accountable for what she does to us on those corners. In the name of Jesus. Two more moments. Mercy, 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 God. Mercy on me. If you're, a, if you're a sinner or you're not right with God, ask the Lord to forgive you right now. Mercy on me. If you are a backslider, if you have come here and you have been sinning, ask the Lord. Mercy on me, Jesus. Father, forgive me for I have sinned, cleanse me, wash me by the blood of Jesus. If you've been bitter, ask the Lord to cleanse you from bitterness. I don't want to be bitter, I want to be better, Jesus. I'll forgive because you forgave me, I'll forgive that principal. I'll forgive that family member, I'll forgive this government, I'll forgive these people. In the name of Jesus, I'll forgive that family member. It doesn't make it right, but it makes it right in my heart. I'll let you take care of them, Jesus. You told us to forgive and make room for your wrath to come. So I'm going to get out the way and let you handle them, Jesus. You said, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. So we forgive and we leave vengeance to our God. Vengeance belongs to our God. In the name of Jesus. If you're going to be a watchman, would you stand up with me right now raise up your hands. Take 30 seconds to say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost and power to do it right now with signs and wonders following.